Locked On NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we'll stop in Phoenix to speak with Evan Sidery of Locked On Suns about the uh, the Suns pulling a surprise move on the first day of free agency and signing Trevor Ariza. We'll go to Dallas to speak with Nick Angstad of Locked On Mavs about uh, Dallas finally acquiring DeAndre Jordan and letting go of Doug McDermott. And lastly, we'll go to Oklahoma City to speak with Eric G of Locked On Thunder about the Thunder re-signing Paul George and bringing back Jeremy Grant and what, if anything, it means for Carmelo Anthony's future. It's all coming up. The biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hi guys, and welcome back to Locked On NBA. It is the Monday edition. I I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I'm also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast and the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com. Make sure you are following me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball. NBA free agency has kicked off. We had quite a few deals go down, some of them seemingly before the uh, before the midnight uh, cutoff or the midnight start of free agency. Lots of action to talk about. We're going to talk about the biggest signings and the biggest stories across the NBA in today's show. So let's get to it. Let's now bring in one of the hosts of the Locked On Suns podcast. That is Evan Sidery. We're going to talk about the Suns being, I guess, Evan, uh, the big, uh, I guess, surprise team on day one of free agency. I don't think many people saw Trevor Ariza going to Phoenix on a one-year $15 million deal, but here we are. He will be joining the Suns next season. Did it take you by surprise that the Suns were able to be as active in getting someone like that on day one, a player the caliber of Trevor Ariza, which really does reset things in the Western Conference in terms of challenges to Golden State? And uh, as a Phoenix person, how um, how do you see Ariza fitting in? I actually was kind of surprised by how the Suns went after Ariza because I know the Ringers, Kevin O'Connor report as well alongside that, that Avery Bradley and Julius Randle were other targets, but it seems like they all three of those guys were just one-year deals on below to contracts. So it seems like Ariza was the first guy to accept that. And I actually like the fit for the Phoenix Suns because you can now play Trevor Ariza at the, the stretch four spot, and now it, it opens up the floor so much for DeAndre Aiden. And also for Devin Booker as well. They'll have Trevor Ariza sitting in the corner, Mikhail Bridges sitting in the corner, both guys who are elite corner three point shooters. So they're going to have the floor optimally spaced out for those two guys. And they also need a veteran presence too. Sure, Jared Dudley and Tyson Chandler are those those types of guys, but you actually need someone that's going to play consistent minutes. And you're going to see Trevor Ariza play between 30 to 35 minutes a night for the Suns. And I think it's going to be a really good fit because not only can he play defense, but he can shoot the ball at a really high level. One thing we know is Ariza's not a number one guy on offense, but he doesn't have to be in Phoenix. There's obviously Devin Booker that can do that. There's uh, TJ Warren, who's a big offensive usage guy. DeAndre Ayton's going to be able to do that. Now, Ariza did take a couple of steps backwards last season. His three-point shooting wasn't where it had been in previous years. But I like what Phoenix is doing, Evan, in loading up on wings. Yeah, They drafted Josh Jackson. They traded for McCall Bridges. They've got TJ Warren. They're bringing in Trevor Ariza. Do you think that this sort of approach of getting all these wings, very similar to what Boston's done over the last couple of seasons, Seasons. Do you think that that's a deliberate uh, approach to, to really load up on these wings? And do you think it means that we're going to see a lot more of Devin Booker at point guard now? 
As far as the wings go, it's pretty ironic that we spoke to Ryan McDonough after Igor Kokoskov's introductory press conference in May, and he actually mentioned the Boston Celtics exactly as far as the wing thing they wanted to do. They wanted to add more wing talent. But like the Golden State Warriors, like the Houston Rockets, like the Boston Celtics, because he believes that's the modern trajectory of how the NBA is going nowadays. Really, it's not about one, two, three, four, five position basketball. It's just positionless. And if you have the four best guys on the floor, if they're six, six to six, nine, that really doesn't matter for the Suns because they're trying to bring similar to like a seven seconds or less offense. It sounds like with Igor, where it's going to be very fast paced, very switch heavy. And as far as as far as that goes, I think it's going to be a really good fit for him because I just think that overall with Booker at point guard, like you said, I think we're going to see a lot more of that this year. I think they need to see that as well because if he is on the James Harden trajectory that I think he could be, which I have alluded to in the past, I think he, if that's the case with the assist percentage like going up above thirty percent, like James Harden did in his fourth year, I think he could be on a similar trajectory because I think they need to experiment more with Booker at the point guard. They only have Brandon Knight at the position with Elia Kobo right now. They waived Tyler Ewis yesterday. So I think it's set up for him to easily play, I think, around 15 to 20 minutes per night at point guard. And I think for the Suns, they have to see it because if Booker has that secret playmaking element to his game like Harden developed, then that changes so much for his overall trajectory. They're a team that now that they have made this a, a Reza signing in terms of cap space, they don't really have any. So you know, getting a, a free agent point guard is not going to be something that, that's easy. There's always yeah, the ability for them to cut some of their non-guaranteed guys like uh, Alan Williams or Shaq Harrison or Devon Reed. Any of those guys can move. There can be trades. But at this point, I think we're going to be seeing a lot of Devin Booker at point guard with Ali Okobo and Brandon Knight, as you mentioned. There, um, I think the best part of this uh, deal for Phoenix, Evan, is the fact that it was only one year. Ariza is 33, almost 34, around that sort of age mark, and you don't want to lock someone in for three years, you know, $60 million or, you know, or $50 million. That would be too much for this Suns team who's looking for really some flexibility heading into the 2019 offseason. So as you said, a, a great move in terms of just getting a quality player who can teach these guys and, and actually give something to a team who was the worst defensive team in the NBA. But you did touch on it a little bit earlier there, talking about Tyler Eulis and him being waived. And then multiple reports coming out today, Evan, that Devin Booker was not uh, not really all that pleased with his best mate being uh, being waived from the team. Not necessarily the fact that Eulis was gone, but the fact that he wasn't consulted. Is this something that Suns fans should have any level of concern about? I wouldn't say a lot. I would just say very, very minuscule at this time because I still think Booker is going to have sign that extension this offseason. But it kind of contradicts what Ryan McDonough has been saying the past few months because he said, I believe, at the end of the season that Devin Booker was going to have roster decisions, at least have some voice in there. And if, especially for a guy like Tyre Ulis, who's been with Booker for the last five, six seasons at Kentucky and also with the Suns, his best friend, like you mentioned there, I just think you have to communicate better with him. It seems like I've been tracking this recently. He's had three straight seasons now, if we're including Booker now into the 2018-19 season, where he's had three straight guys disgruntled. He had Markeith Morris after Marcus Morris got traded. He had the whole Eric Bledsoe fiasco last season. Now it's just like Ryan McDonough was unable to communicate an easy decision with Devin Booker, which should have been a really easy process just dialing up and letting him know. So I just think that it seems like Ryan McDonough is still having trouble with just the PR side of things, which is player relations. And James Jones, who was hired to do this last year, it seems like it's kind of not doing so well. It seems like I know I'm really reading into this a little bit too much here, but I think that as far as the James Jones hire goes, I, I, thought, I thought he'd have more of a voice in this kind of role. But if, the, if these issues are still permeating throughout the organization, I just think it's a really, really bad look for Ryan McDonough and the Suns. 
I'll tell you what the confusing thing to me with it is, Evan, is the fact that so many things that McDonough has said over the past couple of seasons have given the impression that he's, he's taking the opinions of players very highly into these things. The whole Earl Watson yeah, signing, yeah, Tyson Chandler and PJ Tucker coming coming to the mob. We really want Earl Watson that he's brought back. And then all this talk out about, about all the players wanted DeAndre Ayton. And then the talk from McDonough that DeAndre Ayton really wanted the team to get McCall Bridges and just really emphasizing player, not necessarily influence, but at least their opinions being heard. And then you get to this sort of one and it's just completely the opposite, which really is a strange, I guess, turn of events given the fact that McDonough had seemed to be at least publicly putting out these things that he had been um, consulting players and players' opinions and taking those with a with a high level of a interest in his overall decision-making process. But I agree with you. I don't think it's going to be a big impediment to Booker signing that, uh, that contract. Do you think there's anything further coming from Phoenix in terms of waiving guys or, or trades, or is this their, their big swing and then they'll just... Um, just move forward and and, uh, and try and you know, push themselves up and, and get you near know, 10, 15 more wins as an aim for next season? I think as far as next season goes and what they're going to do next, I think that, the, like you mentioned at the top of the podcast, I think they're going to waive the non-guarantee guys, all those guys. They still need to waive Alan Williams to even fit Trevor Reza into the salary cap. So I imagine sometime in the next few days, Alan Williams will be waived or traded into a subsequent deal. But I think they're still going to be a little, a little bit aggressive as far as the trade market goes because they have a – a pretty big size 12 pointer. I don't think they're going to trust Brandon Knight because he was, I think he was honestly pretty bad when he was on the court two years ago. And I really can't see how they're going to trust him full time at point guard. And Elio Kobo is such a raw prospect, especially on defense right now. I don't think they want to put Devin Booker in such a bad spot playing all the playmaking role alongside being the primary scorer. So I can see him possibly going to the trademark for a guy like, let's say, like Patrick Beverly, Mios Teodosic. If they want to go for like a big fish name, like maybe Damian Lillard or Kemba Walker down the line, if they want to really go all in with their their core, but I think they still need to somehow, some way fill the point guard role. But as far as the Booker thing, real quick, I want to jump back on just as far as that goes, I feel like that's going to set up for him to have more leverage with his contract extension, where I think he could be able to have, instead of just a straight five-year contract, he might be able to have a fourth-year player option now, which could really change things for the Suns in the future. But that's why I could think that, especially with the, the news today about Booker and how he's a little bit disgruntled with what happened today with Tyler Ulis, I could see McDonough with his contract being up next summer uh, the, the year after that, I could see them possibly being a little bit more aggressive than expected. Maybe go after a big fish name at point guard like Kemba or Damian Lillard. Yeah, that's all, all those things that looking towards the Suns, pushing towards not winning now, but you know, moving forward and, and let's start to be competitive as, as this Ariza signing seems to have signaled. Evan, thanks for jumping on and make sure you are checking out Locked on Suns with Evan uh, all during the week for all your Phoenix Suns news. Thanks, Evan. I know, problem. appreciate it. It's time now to bring in one of the hosts of the Locked On Mavericks podcast, and that is Nick Angstad. The the Mavericks, Nick, on the day one of free agency, pulled in one of the bigger names and signed one of the bigger in terms of per year uh, value for a contract signings in DeAndre Jordan three years later after the in- infamous uh, emoji war on Twitter. DeAndre is back for the same amount as the player option that he uh, that he declined with the LA Clippers. Um Pretty exciting times for the Mavs to be able to attract a player like this alongside the Luka Doncic drafting. Um, it looks like they're, they're pushing up uh, up the standings now in uh, for the 2018-19 season. Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves, Josh. We've done this before. <laughs> We've tried this before. They tr- they signed him to an offer sheet or they uh, agreed to an offer sheet before, and we know how that turned out. You alluded to the emoji war, and that's how it happened. They had agreed to a deal. It was all set up. It all seemed like it was fine. Everybody was writing their articles, their think pieces about 
what DeAndre next to Dirk would look like. And, you know, the Mavericks finally landed a big free agent. And I'm, I'm ho- I think everybody's kind of holding their breath. This one seems a little more real because it's not like if he goes back to the Clippers, there's anything to go back to. But uh, the DeAndre situation, it's it to me, this this deal specifically is the most ideal of of any of the, the scenarios. Isaac and I on our podcast on a locked on Mavs the day before we were, we ranked the it was probably the nerdiest thing we've ever done is we ranked what would be the best deals that DeAndre could sign. We were like, all right, which one do we think would be the best? And then went from there. And the number one for both of us was a one year, like big money kind of deal where you just kind of, you, you bring him in, you, you pay him and be able to bring and uh, give him that money that he's going to want to be able to get in. Cause he's not, he's not going to turn down that player option and then just go somewhere for people were saying like, Oh, what if we sign him for 15 that we can get somebody else? Like, I don't think that's, I don't think that's feasible. So you bring him in and then you be able to, like you said, try to make this push because now that the Mavericks have Luka Doncic and Dennis Smith Jr., the best thing for them right now, like you can try to keep doing the the you know trusting the process and bring in younger guys and and you know more pieces and things, but the best thing for those two guys right now is to get some actual winning experience because then we've seen over and over again how some of these guys, you know, like the Julio Okafors or the Nerlens Noels or like even like the Tyreek Evanses or guys like that were just they're on these teams and they just they just lose over and over and over again and it kind of gets it kind of gets in you you know like we've seen this with Eric Bledsoe where he was like a really good player with the Clippers he goes to the Suns and now he's like man what like what is this guy doing so I think trying to make a playoff push is what they're they're really wanting to do Cuban is is obviously famous for being impatient and uh, and so they're going to try to do this now how well it's going to work I don't know a lot of teams in the West got really really good. Yeah, though that's that's the thing is that you're battling against you know ten, eleven, other twelve teams perhaps for for one of those playoff spots. Now the interesting thing I, I find here with Dallas you know, a big infusion of, of talent, adding uh, Luka Doncic, uh, adding DeAndre Jordan. Now last season we saw Dirk Nowitzki start at center for the majority of the season. There was times when Dwight Powell's and Nerlens Noel started a few games, Harrison Barnes at the four. With Doncic uh, around, do, do we think that we're still going to be having uh, Dirk starting? Is he going to go back to the power forward position? How is he going to go guarding any of the fours in the NBA who are obviously switching towards a, a smaller style thing? Will Dirk be happy coming off the bench in this scenario? Do we see Wes Matthews move to the bench? It's, there's a whole weird scenario, but I think the most the most important one is where does Dirk fit in now? Yeah, it's a great question. And one we've we've talked about was we even when the Mavericks were looking at drafting Mo Bamba or Jaron Jackson Jr., one of those guys were like, Man, what are they gonna do with Dirk? Because he can't really play the four on against a lot of teams. Like teams go out there and they throw LeBron at the four, or they throw like Aaron Gordon at the four, and you you're just going, Man, Le- Dirk cannot stay with any of these guys, let alone stay with the plotting centers even. And so you the question for Dirk is it's not if he would come off the bench because he said he would. But they have this whole intricate thing for him to to start and to get ready before the game and to be warmed up because the guy is 40 years old and he wasn't super athletic when he came to the league anyway. You know, he's more athletic than people remember, but he wasn't like this jump out of the gym kind of guy. And so he uh, and he's had a lot of, of injuries here late in his career. And so to to bring him off the bench would take some kind of change in that. They would have to that whole you know system. They would either have to do something where he's not with the team at the beginning of the game and he's like shooting down in the practice gym. The Mavericks have this little practice gym off the side of the AAC. And so he could go down there then and then just a coach calls him up when he's ready. Uh, I was talking about this yesterday on Lockdown Mavs and I said, man, they could just do like the Mariano Rivera where they have his like, 
play in music where he walks in. And so it's just like every every first media timeout, Dirk just comes out of the tunnel and just to his music and just plays it like a uh, WWE wrestler just walks in. And everybody, that's how he gets his introduction. If he's not going to be introduced in the starting lineup, that's how he gets it. So I think, honestly, he does come off the bench. Now, I don't know if he gets that whole crazy thing that I just mentioned, but I think he does come off the bench. I think Harris Marnes kind of sucks it up and plays the four again, even though there was talk at the end of the year that he really liked playing three and that Carlisle liked him at three and that the Mavericks want to stick with him there. Luka Doncic just kind of changed all of that. There was just, it didn't seem like that was a scenario that was going to happen. And then when it did, uh, obviously Luka answers more questions than he creates, but for Harris Marnes, it is a little bit, it is a little different there, but I think they'll start the uh, DeAndre Barnes, Luca, Wes, and Dennis. Yeah, I, I would, I would think that's the way it's, it's looking at, at this point. But it is interesting that Dallas and getting two really high caliber players in the last ten days or so is going to change a lot of what they do. But they did lose a player in free agency. Nick, they tendered the qualifying offer to Doug McDermott. They quickly rescinded that, and then he went on and signed a contract with the Indiana Pacers. He provided you know, something, I guess, when he came over at the trade deadline, and it seemed to me that they were all set on bringing Doug McDermott back. So. What changed and who is likely to fill that sort of role? Yeah, all reports say that they were going to go after him, that they were, you know, he was next in line after uh, DeAndre Jordan to be pursued in free agency. But the Pacers came with a really good offer, an offer that I honestly don't really understand. <laughs> the, uh, it was the three years, 22 million or something like that. And uh, that's a lot for a guy that's kind of honestly a one trick pony. He can he can shoot really well. Obviously, he's, he's obviously a great shooter. Uh, he's he's pretty tall too, so that helps. He's not like one of these you know small guards that's running around. He can he can shoot over the top of some guards. Doesn't really give you much defensively. He's a, he is a good cutter though offensively. That's another thing off the ball. He's he's very good because uh, he has to be. <laughs> it's kind of in his basketball career he's sort of had to be. Um, and we're sad now that the uh, the high school teammates of Harrison Barnes and Doug McDermott are gone. But uh, move on and we bring up somebody else next man up. I don't know who that's going to be. Either Dorian Finney Smith gets some more minutes or. Uh, man, the the three spot is very interesting. Honest, obviously, Luka Doncic is going to get a lot it's of those minutes Doncic, too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's and but. you're going to have guys. Maybe they look to bring back Yogi Ferrell and play a lot more of those two point guard lineups and push Wes and Doncic almost exclusively uh, to the three. You got JJ Barea there. Yeah, Jalen Brunson is he immediately in the rotation? And they just go a lot smaller there. That's they're all possibilities. They also brought back Salah Mejri on a one year deal, who provided some really you know, solid play. Nerlens Noel is obviously not going to be back, but that gives them a center rotation. Mm. If we've got Dirk, we've got DeAndre, we've got Mejri and Dwight Powell there as well. So quite a few centers in the rotation. But Mejri provided you know, decent enough value. As a as a backup big man, and he's back just to reprise that role for this uh, this coming season. Yeah, it's a uh, it's funny. Last year, Carla had a quote sort of towards the beginning of the year. He was like, "Yeah, you know, we got this forklift of centers from Costco or something like something like that." He just was talking about how many centers were on the roster, and it was sort of a a knock on Donnie Nelson that uh, they, we had all these random centers. But there's less now. But Dirk is pretty much a five. Uh, Salamedri is only a five. DeAndre is only a five. So that's three right there. So that takes away pretty much. In my eyes, that takes away all the center minutes for Maxi Kleba and for Dwight Powell, which is a little interesting. It's a, kind of a change. Um, and if Barnes is going to be playing a lot of four, then uh, it's interesting to see where you know minutes are going to come for for Maxi uh, on this team. I'd like to see him stay around, but but we'll see. So uh, solid measure. He's a rim protector, like you said. He's a he's actually a really really good rim protector. I think uh, we've tried to trade him to playoff teams in our like mock free agencies and things like that <laughs> several times. We were like get it, get this guy to a place that's gonna you know use him and 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 love him. But he also played with Luka Doncic in uh, 
overseas uh, yeah, when he was 15. Right. I remember talking. Ago, I yeah, I remember talking to him towards the beginning of the season, saying, "Man, you ever seen Luka Doncic? Have you, you know, played with him or whatever?" He goes, "Yeah, I played with him when he was 15 years old, and he was the best player on the court." Yeah, <laughs> man. And he said he's the best player he's ever played with, which that's kind of, that's pretty high praise for a guy that's played you know a lot of basketball. Well, that is massive, massive excitement levels here for Dallas Doncic, DeAndre Jordan. Things are starting to look up. It's great times. It's going to be one of the more fun teams to watch in the NBA, Nick. And you're going to be doing that, and people are going to be able to hear your thoughts on the Mavericks offseason, preseason, regular season, and hopefully postseason all across on Locked On Mavs. Nick, thanks for thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA. I'm excited for some fun basketball. The last two years have been very tough. Thank you, Josh. No worries, man. It's time now to talk with the host of the Locked On Thunder podcast, and that is Eric G. A huge day for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Paul George signing back on a uh, a three-plus-one max contract. Didn't even give meetings to any other teams, which I'm sure Laker fans are absolutely apoplectic about. They also brought back Jeremy Grant on a uh, on a uh, three-year contract. Um, Eric, it's uh, it's fun times for Oklahoma City fans. The trade ended up paying off for Paul George last offseason. They are in absolute salary cap and tax hell at the moment, but it's still a huge positive for the Thunder and their prospects heading into this coming season. Yeah, it certainly is. Um, I think more than anything for Sam Presti and the organization and Thunder fans, it's also a great sense of relief because there was no indication leading up to free agency that Paul George wouldn't least give a meeting to the Los Angeles Lakers and hear the pitch that they had to to sell him. And you still had to worry about whether or not the Lakers and the Spurs were going to pull off a trade for Kawhi Leonard. And would that sit in motion LeBron James signing with the Lakers and thus Paul George and to just have all that out of the way and have Jeremy Grant sign right now you can relax, pick up the pieces that you need to to fit in place for the rest of the season and, and just get ready to play some basketball and not have this process drag out. And it, it relieves a lot of anxiety. And, and now the Thunder can move forward and their fans can move forward. It's a it's a huge deal for for Paul George and also the the report from uh, Adrian Wojnarowski today that you know, George after two years would be eligible for a uh, a max extension as well, meaning that this is not just a four year one hundred and thirty seven million dollar commitment that it could be. I think seven years two hundred and ninety million dollars is the number that uh, that Woj tweeted out. Which you know some people criticizing Paul George for his dumb decision and signing a three plus one because then that means he wouldn't be able to get back into free agency when his ten year super max sort of contract was available. But of course the new extension rules do enable him to do that. Um, Jeremy Grant also three years, $27 million. Woj was reporting that maybe uh, Grant would be a 10 to $15 million a year player. The Thunder got him for under that by taking on that player option at the end. But Eric, as I alluded to earlier, the tax bill on this team, they're going to be paying almost $300 million for this roster uh, for this coming season. Carmelo Anthony, we know, opted in. Um, does this mean that he there is a big chance because they're going to save a ton of money if they end up stretching him? Do you think that he will be on this Thunder team uh, when the regular season rolls around? I think he will, and uh, and well, let, let me re, let me rephrase that. I do think Carmelo Anthony will be on the Oklahoma City Thunder, and I think a lot of that has to do with Paul George. And I think whatever happens with Carmelo Anthony, whether he's here in Oklahoma City or whether he is paid off in one lump sum to leave or he stretched over three years and forced to leave. All that is because Paul George wanted it a certain way. Paul George either wants Carmelo Anthony here or he doesn't. 
But all this is, from everything that we're being told and kind of everything that we're being led to believe right now, is that Paul George was able to come back to the Oklahoma City Thunder because he had some control and had some say over some things that would be happening with this organization in the near future. And Carmelo Anthony's fate really hangs in the balance based on what Paul George decided, and we will know what Paul George decided here very shortly. But I do see Carmelo Anthony coming back, and the reason I say that is because I think these three guys, at least off the court, work very well together. And I think for the Thunder, it's extremely important to have a guy like Carmelo Anthony in the locker room because the one thing that Russell Westbrook does not give you is – Russ is always bad cop. Russ is always going to be the guy that's harder on players and is going to be more critical and is going to have that bar set so high that the majority of his teammates can't reach it. Carmelo Anthony, for the younger guys and some of the guys who may not have as much of a voice in the locker room, is the type of dude that can smooth things out. And from all the reports that we heard last year and just talking to the players last year, getting to get with them, um, before and after the games and in practice, etc., it was made known that Carmelo Anthony had a big voice in that Oklahoma City Thunder locker room. So if he can be happy in his role, whatever that role is for, for the Oklahoma City Thunder, he's certainly an asset, at least from a locker room standpoint. That's something we always need to, to pay attention to. And I think it's, it's never been illustrated more starkly than this Paul George scenario is we can talk about future earning opportunities and, and market size and, and teams and recruiting players. But these are players. These are, are people. Yes, they are elite athletes. Yes, they make a lot more money than what you and me make, Eric. But. If they're in a situation where they like the people they're working with, that's going to weigh quite a bit. And we've seen this here that Paul George got along well with Russell Westbrook. He obviously got along well with Carmelo Anthony. He had a good relationship with Billy Donovan and Sam Presti and the whole team. And that counts for huge amounts. Not even give a meeting to another team it is a massive, massive thing. Oh, who wouldn't want to live in LA? This is where he's from. Magic Johnson, blah, blah, blah. But he's like, oh, I've got a, I've got a friend here. You know, I, I like working with Russ. I like hanging out with Russ. I like doing stuff here. And it's a huge factor. And we can all talk about Kamal Anthony was such a negative and he's not worth that contract. And he killed them. And when they were much better with him off the court, and maybe all that is true. Maybe if he wasn't on the team, it would be an addition by subtraction. But if that gets everyone else upset... Then it's not, then it's not worth it. And these interpersonal relationships are, are so key to building a successful NBA team. Well, I think we learned that with Kevin Durant. When Kevin Durant left, the, the, the biggest thing that, that came out of him leaving was we heard that he and Russell Westbrook had a very fractured relationship. And, and you can point the finger and blame whoever you want to in that scenario. But for whatever reason, they just weren't comfortable around each other. Well, all these three guys are. And they click, and they seem to enjoy each other's company, which is huge. And and the biggest thing for Paul George, and this is the biggest coup for Sam Presti, and I'm, it's funny. I asked Sam Presti about this a couple of weeks ago when during exit interviews, and Sam Presti made the comment that the Thunder would not have had access to Paul George unless they had traded for him. And I brought up, well, you're in a smaller market. You're in Oklahoma City. Is that the way you're going to have to operate to get these big-name players because you can't attract free agents? And he sort of pushed that to the side. Well, then in the ESPN Paul George feature miniseries that's come up, Sam Presti basically said, yes, because we're a small market, we would not be able to – we would not have as good a shot to convince Paul George to stay here 
if we hadn't traded for him. So by making that trade, you got Paul George in the organization for a year. And Paul George not only found out how great the the organization is, but guys like Ennis Canner can back him up. They protect their players. They don't force them to be with the media when they don't want to be with the media. They don't require them to go out and do commercials for local businesses if players don't want to be a part of that. There are some public relations things they have to do, but for the most part, it's pretty much about basketball. And if you just want to play basketball and you want that opportunity to win a championship, they'll afford you every opportunity to do that without having all the stuff from the outside kind of come at you. They do a great job of not only protecting their players, but catering to them. And Ennis Canner can talk about that and the, the meals they would set up for Ennis Canner. And they set up a praying room for Ennis Canner because he, he's Muslim. And, and, and they do everything they can to not only make these guys feel welcome, but make, make them feel like they have a place at home. And not only does the organization do that, but the fans do it. And they, boy, they have, for the last 12 months, they have really gone out of their way on Paul George by having people welcome him at the airport, which is Paul George is not the first player that's had that happen, but Paul George is the first player that they threw a party for last year. And then they recruited him all year long. And I think they learned from their mistakes with Kevin DeGrant, Kevin Durant. They took nothing for granted. Maybe they made their best pitch and it worked. It's great news for Oklahoma City. It's it's great to see uh, this sort of stuff happen. I'm sure you're wrapped with it, Eric, and you can hear all of Eric's thoughts on this and any other moves across the NBA offseason. Of course, on Locked on Thunder. Eric, thanks for coming on Locked on NBA and chatting to me about the, the big signings for the Thunder. Yeah, thank you very much. And I'll add one thing. Um, the pressure's on Billy Donovan now because if you're going to spend that much money in, in tax – you're going to spend what Clay Bennett's spending, then it better produce results because the Thunder didn't do this to get knocked out in the first round or even go to the Western Conference Finals. This is all about giving you a legitimate shot to win a championship. And if they can't get that done in the next two years, you will see some major changes. Agreed. All right, that was great stuff from Evan. Eric and Nick there talking about the biggest moves across NBA free agency on day one. We're going to have all the free agency covered right here on Locked On NBA and, of of course, right across the Locked On Podcast Network. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at Locked On NBA Net and following me at RedRock underscore Beeble. And if you do like this podcast, go and leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. And you can also find us Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and on Spotify. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.